pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love that line, enjoy to the world, that as far as the curse is found, wherever there are thorns and thistles, wherever there is the sting of sin and death, you long to make your blessings known, to push back the curse, and to shine the light of hope and truth and love in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this evening and this season that our hearts, as busy as Bethlehem, would make room for the King of Kings. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my name's Benjamin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, last year, I went on vacation at Christmas time, uh, which sounds nice, but my favorite thing in the world is to be with my church and friends on Christmas Eve. And so it was very strange, as cool as it was to be in Clearwater, Florida. <laughs> Start just with a quick reflection on Christmas tonight with um, a little Bible trivia. So you can shout it out if you know. It's a little obscure. But there was once an Old Testament battle. And at the signal of this general, this military commander, there was a phrase they were going to shout. And so they were going to shout, a sword for the Lord and for, does anybody know it? And for, okay, okay wasn't quite as obscure as I thought it might have been. To many of you, like, I don't know, it's all obscure to me. It's a big book, that last part of the, you know. Uh, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. That was this military battle cry. It's a little strange. Like, why not just a sword for the Lord? Like, why Gideon too? We'll come back to that in a moment. But It's a neat story of how the Lord worked a tremendous victory for his people. The odds were stacked against him. In fact, God did everything he could, so to speak, to whittle down the size of the Israelite army so that when they won, there would only be one person who would get credit for that victory. That battle took place in the time of the judges, so probably 1,300 years before the birth of Christ, so something like 3,300 years before tonight. I love that story. And this battle was so soundly won by Gideon and his men. And then there was a couple series of smaller but more, in some ways, significant battles right after that. That Gideon wins. And what do they want to do with Gideon? They want to make him king. Here's what Gideon says. These verses won't be on the screen, but just let me read them to you. This comes from the book of Judges. They go to Gideon and they say this. Or it says, The men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. They were fighting this people called the Midianites at the time. Read that again. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, you rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Is that exactly what happened? You know the story? Well, here's what Gideon says. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you, right? That sounds good. We could say, amen, Gideon. 
except I don't think he really meant that. So today we would call it virtue signaling. Have you heard this word, phrase? So it's when someone shares something on Facebook and you know because your people, your tribe, your friends, your like-minded thinkers will respond a certain way to that post, you then have to either share it with a a comment that approves because that's what your people would do or you disapprove. So you signal your virtue by indicating, not talking to the person who shared it, but your people, wherever they are. That's virtue signaling. Why do I think Gideon was doing that? Well, here's what happens next. He does three things. First, he tells all, he says, I'm not going to be your king, but go ahead and take all your gold and bring it to me. <laughs> and he makes an idol out of it. And then, he sa- and then he sa- the Bible says he takes many wives, which in the Old Testament was something that kings did, never approved of. Always wrong, but often done. And then here's my favorite. He does three things. So bring me your gold, (laughs) bring me your women, and then he names his son Abimelech. So the name Abimelech is built on two words, Av, which is father, and Melech, which is king. And so he says, I will not rule over you, my son will not rule over you, and he names his son, my dad is king. (laughs) Think about that. I'm not going to rule over you. Bring me your gold. Bring me your women. And I name my child. My dad is king. Right? What does that sound like he's doing? He's saying he wants to be king. You see, with his words, he was preaching one sermon, but his actions preached another. And it would be pretty embarrassing, I think, to be Gideon, (laughs) to have your life on display for three and a half thousand years, for the people of God to say, poor Gideon, (laughs) except, I'll just say, I find myself often in that same place. It's very easy for me as a pastor, as you leave tonight or come forward and you want to shake a hand as we're all eating cookies in the lobby and say, that was a great sermon for the Lord. And I'm like, that's what I want to hear. But I also want to hear a sermon for the Lord and a sermon for Benjamin, (laughs) if I'm honest. So my son, my youngest son, um, who may be back there, he may be one of the kids we're hearing, it's great. (laughs) Um, He's two and a half, but for the last year, he has gotten up somewhere between five and 545, and we cannot figure out how to change that. (laughs) Through force, through sweet talking, I can't figure it out how to change it. And I like to get up early, I like to do things, read my Bible and pray, sing worship music. I do some, (laughs) I don't sing. Uh, This is me virtue signaling here. Um, And so I get up, I do some other things, I work sometimes before the rest of the family gets up. I don't need quite as enough sleep as my wife, so it works out, I get up early. It's been really hard to beat my son awake <laughs> when he's getting up at five and to do much work before he gets up at five. And I will tell you, there was one morning, I don't know when it was, it was in this last year, where he gets up super early. And I'm frustrated, and I didn't get my stuff done, and so at some point I set him up, I don't know, with pretzels or something, and I start doing some of my stuff, whatever my stuff was that morning. And then 
when I'm not paying attention, he opens a hutch that we have sort of in our kitchen dining room where we keep all of our board games. So there's like Jenga in there, there's Bananagram, just like all the games with three card, decks of cards, none of them have 52 cards. Um, and my son opens it, I'm not paying attention, he dumps it all out on the floor. So it's getting close to six o'clock when the kids, the other kids are getting up and my wife's getting up and we're going to get ready for school. So I go over and I start picking it up. And I've got most of it picked up. I'm looking at it. I'm like, I've got 30 seconds left probably to pick this up. And I hear my wife wake up, which I know that means she'll be downstairs in about 90 seconds. So I've never told her this. I thought it would just be easier to tell 300 of you here tonight. <laughs> um, and I decide I could stretch this 30 seconds into 90 seconds so that it looks like I'm picking up all the toys off the floor so that when she comes down, she'll say, oh, look at my husband. <laughs> I hear the giggling from that, my row there in the back. We want to say we're godly and wise and good. And yet sometimes our lives, if our motives could talk, like that commercial where the guy, this, you know, he's in a job interview, but he has a stain on his shirt, but his stain just keeps talking louder. A theme in the Bible is that though we want to be virtuous, and in some ways are, we have this thread of depravity, the Bible calls it, that runs through all of us. Well, why talk about this on Christmas Eve? Well, one of the refrains in the book of Judges, it's where that story about Gideon comes from, is this refrain. It says, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's said multiple times throughout the book. There's no king in Israel. And everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And this is the story that Jesus enters into. We sing about it and we'll sing it later. Long lay the world in sin and error and pining. People doing the best that they can and coming up short every time. Well, what is God to do with a people like us. <laughs> I know what we would do with people like us. And yet God sends a Savior. Earlier I read the beginning of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. Let me just read a few verses here from what comes right after that. It's the classic scene of when the angels announce the birth of the Savior. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. It won't be on the screen. Just hear it read. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. That word, we don't use the word host very often. Host in this context just means an army. An army of angels. Heavenly angels. It says they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, one of my favorite Christmas memories was um, was a kid. I don't know if I was eight or nine or what, 
I was the oldest of five kids, and we all got put to bed. And as the oldest, I got woken back up. I hadn't gone to sleep because I got told to stay awake. And Grandma brings me out, and we sit in the living room on Christmas Eve, and we play Chinese checkers, but we doubled it. So we each had two little triangle things, if you've ever played this game. And so it took forever, which probably, I felt like it was midnight. It's probably 9.30. <laughs> and I got put back to bed. It's a great Christmas memory. If you've been at church over the last few weeks, I told you how much I love the Grinch. <laughs> I told you how much I love cutting down a Christmas tree with my family. I love all those Christmas memories. Growing up, we would put on Christmas ties that were always too large for us. <laughs> we'd go to church and dad would wear a tie and we'd all wear ties. I love that. But the hope of Christmas is more than trees or Chinese checkers, even family gatherings. It's the hope of a world long laying in sin and air and pining, who's signaling their virtue, but truth be known, if their motives were laid bare, if our motives were laid bare, they would testify to the truth, we need a savior. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ because unlike Gideon, who in the three ways he declared himself to be king, the angels show up. A host of angels. You have a host of angels, you're a king. And these angels call him Christ meaning the Messiah, the Savior. And they call him Lord, meaning King. The good news story of Jesus is that he came to a people that needed a Savior. And when we celebrate Christmas, we look forward to the Easter story of his life and his death. His death for sins, those of Gideon, those of mine as a pastor, and those of anyone who would come to him in faith. Where Gideon preached a good message but lived a lousy one. Jesus Christ preached a good message and lived a good message. One of sacrificial love. I, I don't know this evening uh, what excites you most about Christmas. If it's getting the family together, if it's Christmas jammies, we always open up Pack, the one present on Christmas Eve is always jammies. So, um, I got a giant onesie. I don't know. It's going to be hard now to get that imagery out of your head. It's plaid. Um, so you just got to move on for a minute. But I hope your deepest joy at Christmas is knowing your deepest fears and insecurities and regrets and failures can be taken and placed in his lap and he can still love you. Because he wasn't just a baby. He was the God-man who died in your place on your behalf so that you and I might have life in this life and in the life to come. Would you join me in prayer as the worship team comes back up to lead us in a few more songs? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to sing joy to the world. Lord, you, you take that curse out there in the world and you push it back. 
But what do we do, Lord, when we see that the curse just isn't out there, but it's in here? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can still sing for joy because we have a Savior who doesn't just fix them, but fixes us in the power of your life and your death and your resurrection and in the hope of your second coming when you establish a kingdom as a king here on earth the way this world was meant to be. We give you thanks in Christ's name.